We're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios when you need cash out of your home and a simple way to get it, Rocket Can. So glad to have you on the Maggie and Perloff show. We're hanging out on this Wednesday, and we are so pleased now to be joined by a Hall of Famer. Of course, he was Offensive Rookie of the Year. He was an All-Pro, seven seasons with over 1,000 yards rushing, and that would be Edger and James, who's got a football life premiering Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern on NFL Network. Edger and James, it's Maggie and Perloff here in New York. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, what's up? How y'all doing, man? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to talk with you. And I'm curious, when you're watching your you know, football life and watching all these high points in your career, what was the most fun thing to reflect on? No, it's just the journey. The whole journey from start to finish. That's the, every, every part. It's like you look back and say, man, it, this is what it took. You get a great appreciation for the whole journey once you get to the end of it, especially. Now, Edrin, did you have any opportunity to edit the documentary or see or consult on it at all? Was there anything that was embarrassing that you didn't want in there? Maybe a shot from when you were a kid? You're like, oh, don't put this in there. <laughs> nah, man, that's part of being the edge, man. Everything is real and raw, man. You just give it to them how it comes and accept things the way they come and just make the best out of it. So everything went out, went the way it was supposed to. Are you somebody who looks back on your career often? Like, do you like thinking about, you know, all the ups and downs that you had? Nah, it's, it's part of it's part of life, you know. It's part of the way I've been molded, and I just continue to go. Football was a phase in your life. It was one chapter. Now you're on to the next chapter, you know. Like, I'm, I look, I'm like in the third quarter of my lifestyle right now, you know. <laughs> so that's how you look at it. So looking around the league, by the way, you, in, in a lot of ways, we were just talking to break about the draft when you were compared to Ricky Williams a lot. And I think for a lot of people it was your pass catching ability and your role as a complete running back that made you so valuable to the Colts. Now everybody's like that in the NFL. Do you consider yourself sort of a, a pioneer among NFL running backs? I think you could say that, you know, but I'm not one to, to sit up there and say I did this. I just did what I do. And when you play football, it's about being on the field. You know, we love the game. I don't want to come out, you know. I don't want to come out the game. I want to come off the field. So you have to be able to do things. You have to be an asset to the game in every aspect of the game. And that's why I've always tried to be. If they needed somebody to catch the ball, I was available. If they needed short yardage, I was available. If they needed somebody to block, I was available. And that's what it's always been about with me, just when, because, of, because of the love of the game. When you were coming up, who was your hero? Which running back did you want to be like? Well, you know, um, I always liked Walter Payton. You know, Walter Payton. You know, he was the he was the one that you look at and said, "Man, I like I like the way he do it. it was smooth, you know, did everything effortless, and it was tough." And that was the person that I watched the most, and the one I appreciated his game. We're talking about the Edger and James, of course, the Hall of Fame running back. He's got a football life premieres Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern on NFL Network. So, is it? strange now if people say that about you like how do you handle that kind of praise when people say like oh I always looked up to you I wanted to be like you well that's 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 part of the that's part of the game you know the kids that's watching you they need somebody to watch and I was a part of the era when they were sitting there watching tv and they was dreaming of becoming and I was actually one of the guys that was doing well enough in their eyes so it's part of it, and as we go on, there's going to be new guys that look up to different guys because it's part of their era and it's going to be part of their drive. So you, you appreciate it, and you're just glad to be one of the guys that actually stood out to them. 
Edron James is our guest. Okay, so uh, one of your teams that you played for, of course, is the Indianapolis Colts. We know that it was a very eventful week for them last week when they fired Frank Reich, they hired Jeff Saturday, and then lo and behold, Edron, they get their first win under Jeff Saturday, who had no coaching experience whatsoever. Were you surprised by it? No, I'm not surprised by it. It's football. You know, you say, okay, coaching experience. You know, he's been he's been in the trenches. He's been part of the game. He's won Super Bowls. He's been around some of the greatest players or one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player, to play the game at the quarterback position at times. You know, he's been around some great coaches. So all those things help you become great, you know, if you desire to go into that space. You know, sometimes you have some coaches that have never played the game, but you have somebody that's actually – played the game, won in the trenches, understands the game inside out, you know, why wouldn't they even give themselves a chance to be successful? And plus they're surrounded by former coaches. They're surrounded by a good organization. And, you know, Saturday knows what it takes to be a winner. You know, winners win. That's what happens. Were you surprised that so many coaches and players, let alone media types, but people who are in in the NFL, in football, came out so with so much criticism uh, about the hire. It, it wasn't just the outside, Edger, and it was inside the game. People were very upset about that. Did that surprise you? Um, that's what makes it so beautiful. You know, everybody's going to be upset, and then you go up there and you do what you wasn't expected to do, and then uh, everybody has to sit back and look at it and say, hey, you know what, maybe we overanalyze this thing because at the end of the day, yeah. They got a victory in the NFL where that's not supposed to happen, right? But it happened. And that's that's how it goes. That's the beauty of life, you know, doing things that everybody don't expect you to do. What do you think of – what if Peyton Manning tried to be a coach? Could he do it like Jeff Saturday? Of course. You know, anybody that's been – if you're a football person and you're really in tune with the game and if you're a leader, you have to be a leader. You know, some players are just good at playing, but some people have the it factor – that they actually know how to lead people. And Saturday does that. Peyton does that. So it's just a matter of if you're interested in, if you're willing to take on that task. But I feel like Peyton would be a little impatient with players. <laughs> I don't know. You've probably been on the wrong end of being yelled at by Peyton. What is he, what's, he like when things, <laughs> what's he like when things aren't going his way, though? Peyton never yelled at me. So never. <laughs> I don't know about that. You no. know what? I believe no. it. Yeah. No, nobody yells at Edge. You know, no reason <laughs> to. Because, you know, I'm here for what you're here for. But ultimately, it, it all depends on what a person is up for. They have certain expectations. I can't speak for whether a person wants to do it or not, but the ones that want to do it, they're usually up for it. And if you've been around the game, man, you'll be successful if you, if you have everybody pulling for you. Now, if you have everybody going against you and don't believe in you, then it's going to be a little bit tougher. We talked about this, Edron, uh, the day that Jeff Saturday got hired. Like, if he has success, however you want to define it, but, like, we know it when we see it, right? Like, what looks successful? And if he does have success, would it lead to more guys who played, you know, not being assistant coaches, just going straight to head coaches like we've seen in the NBA? Do you think that will happen? Uh, You never know it. But it's a lot of things that has to happen for that to happen. You know, it has it's a lot of factors that go into it. The, the position has to open. Sure. The person that makes the decision has to actually feel it. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a gut feeling type of thing. And that's something that I don't know what will happen going forward, but you can't rule it out. Edron James is our guest, the Hall of Fame running back. I, I feel like also having Jim Irsay as the owner, 
maybe, you know, he's a guy who's maybe uh, not afraid to do things in an unconventional way and was looking for a spark for the team and was willing to take this leap. Do you have like a good Jim Ursay story? Because this guy is kind of like uh, like legendary in his own way. Yeah, Mr. Ursay, man, I call him the big man. And <laughs> like he, he like he's a solid, true, real person. You know, he doesn't have to go about things the way traditional. He goes by things the way he's feeling from his personal experiences. And that's the thing that you appreciate. You don't have to say, oh, yeah, we have to do it this way, this way, just to please people. No, you do things which you feel like is the best and your heart is in. I think a lot of decisions are made that people really aren't truly into, but they do them because they know perception and know everybody else is going to have a problem with the decision. So they kind of shift what they really want to do. And we have somebody like Mr. Ursa that's willing to say, hey, this is my team. I'm going to do it my way. You got to respect that. It's his team. Did he ever, like, let you, like, you know, play one of Prince's guitars or something yeah. like that? I feel like this guy's got a music collection that's pretty crazy. No, nah, he has a great collection, but nah, I'm, I don't know how to play the guitar, and I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid to touch it. I might break it. You know, those things are valuable. <laughs> so, yeah, you've been around the NFL a lot. Most owners are not like Jim Irsay. It feels like he's more involved with the players than a lot of owners and even some GMs. Uh, was it was he unusual? Was he always around the team when you were playing? Yeah, he's always been a part of the team. He's more, it's, it's real. Like, he's in tune with what's going on. He touches the team. You know, it's not just a business that you're just pushing a button from afar. You know, he's actually around, involved, he's a good person. He actually does a lot for the community. And every player that's ever encountered him that know him personally, you know, he, he makes sure everybody's good and you, you, you feel like family. Edger and James is joining us, the Hall of Famer, of course, of Football Life on Edger and James premieres Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern on NFL Network. He also has a book out called From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket, My Life in Football and in Business. What's your biggest uh, you know, advice for someone, business advice for somebody? Well, you know, you have to be into whatever you're doing and do all your homework. And don't try to reinvent the wheel. You know, you just go through and see what other people that's being successful have done and the people who aren't successful, see what they've done also, and make sure you don't make those mistakes and give yourself a chance and you have to see things through. And if you're doing the right thing, eventually it's going to end up on the right end of things. That's pretty much my approach. All right, Edge, I want to ask you a question about being a, a sports parent. I understand your son is a – highly touted basketball recruit. Just committed to Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. So Congrats. is there something that happened to you in your playing days that you want to either warn him about or uh, help him to get prepared for big-time college basketball? No, you just work. You just focus on what you have to do. And if you continue getting better, it's like, we call it um, compounding consistency. You know, you just keep working, working, and you be consistent. You're going to get better, and you're going to get better, and you're not going to notice these gains that you're making, but as long as you continue to work and put in the proper work, you're going to get better. You're athletic. You have the DNA. You got that dog in you. So I'm not worried about are you going to be successful. Now are you willing to do what it takes to be successful? Look at the greats. Do what the greats did. Is that harder maybe for kids who have famous parents, especially who are famous athletes, right? Because you ha- maybe you're just born with it, Edrin, because – you imagine you want to give your kids a great life. They have the comforts of a great life, and maybe the motivation isn't there. I don't know. Have you encountered that at all? Yeah, it's one of those things where you have to find the right balance. You know, you 
you have to make sure you put them in those environments. Like uh, my my son, he played football with the inner city kids. I had to make sure he had that toughness, even though he don't live on that side of town, but that's all I was familiar with. So I make sure that they understand, like, like it's a reason these guys are going hungry because I'm one of those guys. Like, it's a different type of drive. It's a different type of want. And so as a kid that's coming up in a household with a father that's successful, you know, you have to kind of be creative because the schools and the areas in, they, they, they're different. And once you put, the, put your kids in those elements when it comes to playing that game, you know, they see why these good guys are good, and they see the determination. They see that these kids are really – they're playing for their lives. And once you get that mindset, hey, the sky's the limit. Edger and James, can't tell you how much we appreciate this. Hey, sorry, one last one before we go. Uh, going back to Jeff Saturday, you had such an interesting tweet after Jeff won their first game with the Colts where you compared it to former U.S. presidents mm-hmm. who had won elections yet had not ever been elected to office before that. Are you just like a history buff? Are you like, you know, interested in U.S. presidents? How did you make that connection? No, nah, it's just, it's just, this is America. You know, it's America. It's like in America, man, you can't sit up here and say we're restricted or we're limited. You know, it's like, why are you surprised that Jeff Saturday is the head coach of a football team? We have this, this country that so many people depend on, and we have people that haven't had no experience doing that. So I get a guy a chance, let him, let it work itself out, and don't sit up here and try to overanalyze things, man. Let's go, man. This, this is what, that's what being in America is all about. Edger and James of Football Life premieres Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern on NFL Network. His book is called From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket, My Life in Football and Business. You can go to his Instagram, Edger and James, or through his website, oneapparelbrand.com. Edger and James, what a treat to talk with you. Thanks so much, and wishing you all the best going forward. All right, thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Edger and James. Very cool. Yeah, it is America. You know, what? Jeff Saturday can coach a team. Again, it's so funny. We've come so far in just eight days on Jeff, oh, yes. Sat- on Jeff Saturday. <laughs> yeah. At first, it seemed crazy to pull a guy out of the booth. And then he wins a game, has Edger and James getting us fired up on the yep. idea of Jeff Saturday coaching. And he's less than a touchdown underdog against the, my Eagles on Sunday. How did that happen? <laughs> well, I mean, it. It kind of makes sense, though. They can run the ball. Jonathan Taylor is healthy. The yep. offensive line played much better last week. No surprise. Jeff yep. Saturday, that's really what he's there for, to fire up the offensive line. It's really weird. You have to admit, it's a totally different vibe around that guy, even for critics a week later. I'm telling you, and I am standing by my prediction. If they are successful, I think you're going to see this happen again, and I think it's going to be soon. I know Jim Irsay is a little bit of a different cat as an owner, but I think you're going to have guys who are close to owners, who are former players, who are great leaders, or were when they were playing, and we're going to see this again soon. Well, does now does that mean that the Texans can finally hire Josh McCown? See, I don't know if they're going to do that. Who they've always wanted to hire? I mean... Well, they specifically wanted to hire him, what, last year? But think about it, right? Yes. I think, what is it, the average is eight new head coaches every year? Yes. I mean, that's what we're averaging. That's the kind of turnover. You don't think another owner is going to be like, of course I should bring in... Blah, 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 former all-pro, you know. There definitely seems to be a trend, though. You do look at the, the teams that are dominating this year. Kevin O'Connell, Vikings. Nick Sirianni, I think he was an offensive assistant. Eagles. In, Mike in McDaniel, Indy. Miami, offensive assistant. I mean, the off, it's going to be... I don't think a defensive guy is going to get hired until well, the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> Eberflus. E, yeah, Our dude it, Eberflus in Chicago got hired. 
Right, I'm just saying, like, the teams are actually winning all have hired, all yeah. the new coaches. Even Flus is three and six. Yeah, you're right about Everyone's that. Everyone's excited about Justin Fields, but they're still losing every game. But they uh, keep trading away guys on the defense. I mean, I think if you look, Brian Dable, too. All the first-time coaches yep. who are from offense. So, yes, you're right. They might hire a Jeff Saturday here and there, but they're certainly looking at to find the next Kevin O'Connell, which we never... Would have said ten years ago. It's true. Eight five five two one two four CBS. Eight five five two one two four two two seven. Appreciate Edgar and James. If you missed that interview, caught it in the middle or something like that, you can always download the Maggie and Perloff podcast. Get it wherever you download your podcasts. Also, we put our interviews on the YouTube, so you can go to YouTube and just put our names in the search box. I know this is a lot of controversy. Do you Google YouTube or do you actually go to YouTube and put it in the search box? Well, you also called it the YouTube. Well. That's, <laughs> I'm doing my favorite Perloff impersonation. Well, one note, drop the the. Thank you. <laughs> like from Facebook, never mind. Drop the the. Welcome back to Maggie and Perloff. A lot of fun having Edger and James, former cult star, talk about Jeff Saturday. I mean, that's just, it's how the edge rolls, Maggie. <laughs> I, it's don't... also, we found out, yeah, that Peyton Manning never yelled at Edger and James. Yeah. No, not that like, was very clear. Not he, like the famous clip where Peyton and Jeff Saturday are yelling back and forth at each other. Well, Edgerin was pretty lighthearted the entire interview until he goes, nope, Peyton no. never yelled at me. <laughs> never yelled at me. He got but very it, serious in that moment. Yeah. If he could call himself the edge, can, can I call myself the pearl in third person? You cannot. <laughs> you never had a thousand yard rushing season, so that's going to be a big no. <laughs> you can call yourself uh, Blossom or Heidi, maybe. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Let's do a little against We're ignoring the grain. that. Let's do a little against the grain. Against the grain. Okay, Jeff Saturday, would you agree that is the most out-of-the-box idea we've seen in the NFL in five years? Hiring him from the booth. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay, so that was a reason to have several against the grain out-of-the-box ideas, some from me, some from the crowd. Okay. We have to evaluate whether we like them or not. Uh, everyone in the room can jump in here. Let's start with the one that I'm actually serious about. Okay, this is yours. This is mine. This is not uh, Maggie and Pearl show listeners. Change pass interference to 15 yards instead of spot a foul. I've been saying this forever. All in. Because it is the most impactful rule in the history of the NFL. Basically, every play is two guys hand fight all the way down the field, then two underthrows and by 12 yards. Tyreek Hill comes back. <laughs> 45-yard penalty. Why not just make it 15 yards, which is incredibly impactful in itself? Don't you think it's a little too much these days? Definitely. And every other penalty has a set amount of yards that come with the penalty or a loss of down or whatever it might be. This is the only one that's like willy-nilly. It could be five yards. It could be 50 yards. I'm 100% with you on this one. I I would disagree because I feel like you're going to see it every single deep ball then because a guy knows that at the worst-case scenario, all it is is 15 yards rather than potentially a 45, 50-yard, 60-yard touchdown catch. But yeah. do you see – think of most pat, think of most pass interference plays. They're really not that situation. It's more of a jump ball situation. It's not like the guy – occasionally, yes, there's a pass interference where a guy is running past him, but usually it's just sort of a messy play. I think that's what Pat's saying. It would lead to more muggings, just people straight no, up. No, but I think to... you're talking about when you know there's a play where the receiver's got him, and basically he's gone. Most of the pass interference, the cornerback and the wide receiver are fighting for the ball. But I, I see what you're saying, but it's just still way too way too many big plays. Now, is this too nuanced, but kind of like they used to do with the old face mask call, where it was like five 
yards for five. It, yeah, five Ooh. for like a for a incidental and fifteen for a personal foul. Could it be like if you mug the guy, spot foul? If it's just kind of like a this kind of 50 50 ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe that it's could a be. 15 yards. Now it's more on the discretion of the referees. Yeah, though. And I don't think yeah, we want to yeah. add more discretion <laughs> to the referee. No. Let's be honest. Although, to Jason Kelsey's point, let's never blame the refs. But yeah. I do think that there should be a 15 yard penalty. But if there's like a clear, almost like the NBA, um, uh, yeah. Clear path to the basket. Clear path to yeah. the basket. Ooh. Then it could be, right, clear path to the end zone. Yeah. <laughs> could be the spot foul. I'm sure that wouldn't lead to any controversy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, good Good ideas all around. Couple, couple more from me, then we'll get to the listeners. Okay. Uh, NFL draft lottery. Uh, no tanking. Mm. So any non-playoff team gets in, kind of like the NBA. Can you imagine? Flatten how, the odds. Flatten the odds. How big a deal that actual lottery would be. It would be... It'd probably be the second biggest night of the NFL offseason. Number one being the NFL draft, night one. Yep. Can you imagine every franchise hangs in the balance of the lottery balls? It's The NBA The NBA lottery is fun, but basically they're competing over a bunch of 18- and 19-year-olds who play one year of college basketball. This is for star quarterbacks. I think it would be... Huge. Yeah, it would be that would be incredible content for the NFL. Yes. I'm kind of surprised they haven't thought about this yeah. just as another TV event, as if they don't have enough. Um, the one the one thing is the draft is so big is because every team's involved, right? Like right. everyone's invested in the draft, whether your team just won the Super Bowl or whether you are last place, especially if you're in last place. The draft lottery though doesn't have everybody. But yeah, still, that's a good point. I, I'm 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 nitpicking here because okay. it's a great idea. Anyone against the lottery over there? All right. No, I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a little bit different in the NBA and the NFL where, like, one player outside of, like, a unique quarterback, and even then it's not even a guarantee, one player doesn't take a team from worst to first. We see it every year in football. NBA is a little bit different, so I don't think that you need it as much. And now we're seeing all these teams who try to tank, and they're great. So, like, it feels like tanking doesn't work in the NFL because, like, when you have 53-man rosters, like, you can't just screw up with no, just, no. like, one or two guys. But the story this year is the NBA tanking teams are playing really well by accident. S- right? Same yeah. thing with the NFL, though. Like, you know, like yeah. who? The Seahawks, the, Seahawks, the, Falcons, the Falcons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some but, teams. But the Seahawks, the I told the you. Saints the Saints who were not Giants, tanking, who looked terrible. The, the Giants had, are another one. The Seahawks had no idea they were tanking. You think Pete, I told you before the season, Pete Carroll... Has no I, idea what tanking even is. You said that, but no one foresaw a Geno Smith resurgence season coming. Literally no one. Right, right. But they didn't They didn't make a lot of moves that said tank. They still had, you know. Except for trading Russell Wilson. But it turns out that actually was a pretty good move. What was the other one you said? The, uh, the Giants. The, Fal- the Falcons definitely were not tanking. Arthur Smith is coaching for Before his job. the season, we kept saying that this is like the worst team in the NFL. They are tanking for the first Because Mariota is a bridge quarterback. I totally. But he's first of all, he's a veteran. But Arthur Smith... He could not really afford a three and thirteen. Okay, season. but anyway, we're getting anyway. away from your point. Well, I, th- I think teams are. Ta- I think there are three teams that are tanking right now. I think the Texans for sure. Um, Who else? The Panthers, obviously. Although they are probably a little too good. I think the Lions are low key tanking, but they keep winning, so they might be in the playoffs. Anyway, a uh, couple more ideas. <laughs> Definitely Coach, not in the playoffs. These are more out there, okay. but I love them. Coaches wear uniforms like baseball. <laughs> Mike McCarthy in a Cowboys oh, jersey do would be the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Andy Reid in a Chiefs jersey. You know, Rabel would do it in a second. Oh, my God. Yeah. Sean McVay would kill the wear. Sean McVay, I'm surprised he doesn't just do it. Yeah, he might as well just do it. Oh, uh, my goodness, Andy Reid. It would look like Tommy Lasorda, but like 20 times worse. It would add so much more character. Like Matt Eberflus does nothing for me now, but if you put him in a Bears jersey, <laughs> that's awesome. With his name on the back, does he get a number? Can you imagine oh, yeah. Belichick? Oh, oh that'd be Belichick. Well, he's definitely cutting off the sleeves, that's for sure. <laughs> Belichick <laughs> might do it. He's always wanted to be a player, but yeah. 
Uh, Robert Sala could probably check into the game yeah, for the Jets. Yeah, you'd have to watch that guy. Uh, okay, a couple of... Ban indoor stadiums. I'm not a huge fan. I think that if you live in a cold-weather city, you use it to your advantage. You don't build a team that's beat, that's a pass-heavy, no-run defense team like the Bills. Thank you. If you're Minnesota, play outside and design your team for cold weather. Why do teams not do this, Maggie? Because just because you live in a cold-weather place doesn't mean the fans have to be punished. It feels like punishment when you're sitting there at a game where the temperatures are sub-zero. Uh, okay, real quick. Bring back the wishbone. Anyone old <laughs> enough to remember the wishbone? Three running backs yeah. behind the quarterback. I the saw Sanfran- it in high school when I covered high school sports. The San Francisco 49ers with Debo, Elijah Mitchell, Christian McCaffrey, Trey Lance at quarterback, full 1983 <laughs> Oklahoma wishbone. Would that be amazing? 1893. No, no, the 80s. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, for my Against the Grain column, I have this clip. Troy Aikman ran it in 87 in Oklahoma and was unstoppable until he Till Jerome Brown broke his leg. In the, uh, this is sad. Okay. Uh, best listener, user-generated ideas. Number one from our buddy Jimmy Trena. Penalize quarterbacks trying to draw the other team off sides. What do you guys think? Oh, definitely not. That's a, that's a First of all, it's so obvious when you're trying to go the hard right. snap. But I love that when you actually get someone to bite. It's like waking up on Christmas morning. Just like, yes, I got a Nintendo. It never happens. And so when you actually do it, it's like a gift. No, I... But have it all the times it doesn't happen. The nine times a game, it's become so annoying. It's the most annoying play in all of sports. And the worst is some teams will call a timeout, then come back out and try and do it again. <laughs> when it doesn't work, it's so boring. Or they'll though. just take the delay when game it works, and it's move exciting. back five yards and punt the ball away. Yeah, I don't know. Does anybody? So Jimmy said, if you intentionally try to draw a tre- team off sides but don't, it's a 15-yard penalty. Does this only count in a situation where it's like a fourth and three and you're trying to do it specifically? Or does it count for like every single play? No, no, first no, no. And you, know the, the, you know the play. You know when it'll happen so ten not like times on second on and seven and Rodgers is there hard counting to try to just get them off sides but maybe also snap the ball too. No, no. really. really this is specifically down. trying fourth to get them. Fourth down, usually. Yeah. It He's usually got good ideas. I'm surprised. That's a terrible <laughs> one in my opinion. Because uh, usually when they don't get them to jump, they take the five-yard false start. Our, uh, yeah, delay game. But, game, but yeah. it slows down the game. It, it must have happened 15 times last Sunday. The, last Sunday was happening in every game I turned to. And you just sit there and wait. And it's wait almost and like wait. an onside kick. Like when it actually works, it's just like total euphoria. Like someone actually. It, so the, the high of actually making it happen, I think, is worth to keep. All right. A couple more quick ones. CFL end zone. You know, the CFL end zone is twice the size of the NFL end zone, so it makes red zone offense much easier. Oh, more scoring. I love yeah. it. I Can you imagine if Justin Jefferson and Stephon Diggs and all these guys had a full 20 extra yards to work with in the end zone? It would make the red zone so much more exciting. That one, I... Can we split the it's difference, a, it's a little. It's a little radical. Yeah, maybe an extra five yards. I don't Do you know. you ever watch CFL? It's really fun around the end zone because the <laughs> receivers can run real routes. But isn't the CFL end zone, isn't the goalpost at the front of it? Actually, I don't know. I don't Could know. They? I'm pretty but sure the goalpost at the front. There too, a lot of so people like, said in the idea to move the goalpost goal back up to the front like the old-time NFL. No, because yeah, then guys used to run no into it. Yeah, no, you're going to get people hurt. Some, some yeah, I know. That's why they want it. I'm down for the <laughs> 20-yard end zone as long as the, the, uh, the goalposts are in the back. That just makes kicking field goals more difficult, too. Okay, um, how about this one? Don't call holding behind the line of scrimmage on offensive linemen. Basically, no holds on run plays. I... 
mm. think this will never happen. I think hold offensive holding is the worst rule in football. It's so haphazard. I got it's one. It's so incredibly haphazard, and nothing is worse when there's a 70-yard touchdown and it comes back for holding, and then they replay it, and it's nothing. Okay, how about this? I don't know about – I love the idea. Any holding call that happens away from the play cannot yes. be called. Because that is the worst when it's one thing yep. if it's the hold yep. that actually leads to the hole that the running back runs through or whatever. But when the play, when the hold is happening on the total opposite side of the field, who cares? It has nothing to do with the play. Hundred percent. Yeah. The other part also is like you run the ball on on first down for like a one yard gain, and it's a ten yard holding call. Ten yards feels way too punitive for a holding call, especially on a run play. Yeah. Like at the very worst. On the, on the should worst you only case, get like 20% of the... No, it should be like a five yards or like, you know, kind of like a false start. First and 15, first and 20. It changes the entire dynamic of a drive or tw- a 10-yard penalty. Maybe if it's like a holding on a pass play, you give it 10 yards or holding on a run play. Going back 10 yards makes no sense. Okay. You could never do behind the line of scrimmage. Derrick Henry would run for 4,000 yards in a season because the <laughs> linemen of, t- of the Titans would just maul people. Hmm. Okay, you're probably right, but still a bummer when there's a whole call. A couple, every about 50 people tweeted and said no more punting. Everybody wants to go with like that coach at Presbyterian College yep. who got rid of his punter. I love it. Everyone wants to be more aggressive on fourth down. It's funny because it seems to be the NFL has adapted that philosophy, and it's kind of been mixed results. Yeah, but no punting. I mean, yeah, I'd love it. Go for it. <laughs> How person, about you can only punt like three times a game? That that was actually mentioned as well. Yeah. Yes, I like that. Uh, overtime, two things for overtime. Just play a 10-minute period. Don't worry about the who scores first. Right. Just kind of a set time. And then eliminate field goals. You have to score a touchdown. Does any, either of those sound better than the current nah, system? I, I, don't, I don't mind the current system. Why not have I a 10-minute period? I don't mind it at all. I feel like the score first, I, there's a, you don't mind it, but wait till. Last no, year. I believe Even me, after my team bill, already got totally hosed on. So why not just make that a 10-minute period where you play it out? I kind of like the, it's not sudden death anymore, but I kind of like the stakes being raised, you know? I think it'd be too many injuries. All right. Uh, okay, that's about it. One last one that has nothing to do with anything. Can we officially remove the America's team label from the Dallas Cowboys? Oh, do they not have it anymore? Oh, that's a deeper conversation. Well, They this, don't get to be America's this team This person anymore? says, this is Noah in Idaho. I'm 26 years old, near the average age of an NFL fan. I don't know about that. <laughs> They've won four playoff games in my lifetime. Why are they America's team? Oh, yeah. He doesn't remember the glory days. He wasn't alive. Did you guys see the rating from the Packers-Cowboys game? Yeah. 29 million. So I think they are still America's team. Have you team. seen every Forbes list ever released ever? <laughs> yeah, they're America's team. But I understand what he's saying. So here's what I'll say about the Cowboys and America's team. If they don't start winning again, that next generation, like Noah and Idaho, who wrote that to you, I don't know if they're if the Cowboys are going to be recruiting the fan base that they did in the 90s, 70s, and then the 90s, because now they're due for another fan base, right? Like the casual fan, or if you don't live in a place like in Idaho or geographically, you don't have something close to you. That's where the Cowboys became so global, right? And so, and, yeah, but- or not global, became America's team. It wasn't just because they were good, though. Because the Steelers were good, too. And they're very popular nationally. But they're not America's team. There's something about the marketing. I think that Jerry makes so much noise that they're still recruiting a lot of fans, possibly. I mean, who's it going to be? It's not going to be the Patriots who won because they were so unlikable. Yeah, I don't. Patriots are not going to be America's team. Uh, who, and who's the team now? The Chiefs? Maybe the Chiefs? Maybe the was, Chiefs because Mahomes? I don't know. Pat, you're young. Who who do the kids like these days? <laughs> the kids... <laughs> Oh, I would say the Chiefs are. You gotta have. You have to be a winning franchise over the last two decades. So the Chiefs would fall under that. 
Patriots, they're, they're I feel like America's villain. So no, absolutely. Um, I feel like the Bengals could potentially take that over if the they win Bengals. another Super Bowl in the next five years, or not another. If they win a Super Bowl in the next five years, really? Didn't yeah, you Bengals could throw the Bengals, Middle America, Cincinnati. Come on, blue collar city. I think the Bills would get it over the Bengals. Why was that funny? <laughs> I don't know. Because there's nothing like blue collar arguing. about the Cowboys and their America's team. They're like no, the flashy like, Lamborghini. It's a good argument. I just think that, uh, I don't know. It just seems like a random. I'm not sure the, the Bengals will invest enough to be a consistent winner, though. You know, they're t- typically one of the cheaper franchises. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. All right. I like those user generated against the grains and your own against the grain. Well, thank you. Nice job. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. You're welcome to weigh in with your own ideas. Welcome back to Maggie and Perloff. Get to college football in just a moment. The biggest question moving forward for the committee, but want to get your phone calls at 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Paul is in Cincinnati, has an against-the-grain idea for Perloff, how to improve the NFL. Paul, what do you have? Hi. First of all, Cincinnati is not a blue-collar town. Cleveland is. Uh, but the other thing is... Apologies? Uh, <laughs> pardon? Well, uh, that, apologies? That's where Sam Weiss says... Uh, Oh, yeah, we're not Cleveland. Cleveland. Oh, right, right, right. You live in Cincinnati. Um, The the idea that I had is uh, doing away with divisions so that you don't have, uh, like, AFC South teams getting into the playoffs. I I love that. Divisions are stupid. No, I love divisions. I love having rivalries. We always get hurt by the Steelers. They always come in and bust us up. And and it's always going to be sure that you're going to have uh, the Ravens or Steelers and or the Ravens and Bengals, we always get pushed out by the – and you have these garbage teams from the uh, uh, AFC South. Wait, but, Paul, this just sounds like sour grapes because you play in such a it tough division. It is sour grapes. <laughs> it absolutely is sour grapes. Start rooting for a team you, in the AFC South. The, you play the Steelers and the Ravens twice a year, every year, for so many years. Paul, and I'm you a, would understand. I'm a Bills fan. <laughs> I had to face Belichick for the last 20 years. Believe me, it hasn't been a pick. <laughs> and he cheats. And he <laughs> yeah. cheated. You know he does. Paul, thank you for the call. You don't like divisions? No. Why? Because they create this competitive imbalance so a team like the Titans can – breeze into the playoffs every year and not be that good and lose to the Bengals in the second round. I mean, we were talking before the show about Peyton Manning's playoff disappointments. Yeah. Yep. No matter you go 14-2 and two because you play Jacksonville, Houston, and a bunch of expansion teams, you beef up your record. No, I think the best teams should get the playoffs. And frankly, my Eagles should not have been in the playoffs last year, 9-8. and eight. And Remember, the Washington Commanders got in with a losing record uh, by winning the NFC East. Why is that fair? Well, they almost beat Tom Brady, actually, with Taylor Heineke. That was well, in they 2020. Lost by, they lost by eight, right? I mean, okay, but that was impressive with a backup quarterback playing against Tom Brady who eventually won the Super Bowl. I just like the rivalry aspect of it. Like, But I think that those rivalries have been watered down over the years. Rivalries oh, are not so. what they... Remember the the Cowboys-Washington rivalry? That's not a thing anymore. Well, that's because Washington hasn't held up their end of the bargain lately. I mean... I think that don't you think that Cowboys Eagles still holds? Go to the yeah, go to the vet with Cowboys Eagles or but whatever. But it's nothing it's like now. it was thirty years ago. It, it is. It that used just might to be in your mind. I, no, I think rivalries in pro sports are way down. There are a few reasons: fantasy football yeah. players betting is now legalized and spread. People care more about that. 
players don't care at all. They're more. Busy. But they, I don't know if they ever cared. They used to, I think. This in my mind, they used to. There used to be more hatred. Now players care more about having the same agent than which team they're on. No, I just remember doing an interview once with Nomar Garcia Parra, who said during all those 2003, 2004 Yankees Red Sox as the height of the rivalry, they were all going out to dinner with each other yeah. after the game. Name was what are the relevant NFL rivalries right now? I mean. I'd like to think that the Bills have a rivalry with the Dolphins and the Jets and the Patriots. Those are but, all extra games that are feel more important than when they play the Vikings or, you know, Cleveland Browns this weekend. But hasn't the NFL buried the Bills-Dolphins at 1 o'clock for the last decade? But I'm a fan and I care about it. So okay. I, I would say basketball. I don't think basketball has many rivalries anymore. NBA. The NBA, yeah. yeah. Uh, because... The, I, it's such a star league. I think hockey still has rivalries. I think the only two rivalries to me that matter anymore are Michigan, Ohio State football, yep. Duke, North Carolina basketball. I think everything else has fallen off to some degree. Steelers, I, Ravens, I think still has. Yeah, something. but even that has sort of fallen apart now because the Steelers are a little bit down. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, you don't look at it year to year. I mean, like I think you talk about the actual fandom and the rabidness of the fans and the maybe not the players as much now, but. Like, even Chiefs-Raiders. Like, you get the Chiefs-Raiders together, like, the fans go crazy for that kind of stuff. Eagles-Giants, Eagles-Cowboys. I still think there's enough there, but to Perloff's point, like, outside of, like, five or four or five, like, really big rivalries where the fans hate each other, it's probably, as a Jets fan, like, my hatred for the Dolphins, just, it's not there anymore. Even my hatred for the Bills, like. That's because the Bills are so likable. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the, their fans are likable. I don't know about the Bills. I mean, you think of great rivalries. Alabama-Auburn? For sure. No, 100%. Yes, but, I mean, yeah, you got all the the Thanksgiving games, Oregon-Oregon State, Washington-Washington State, Ole Miss-Mississippi State. I mean, those are all great rivalries. They're they're a big deal, for sure. But the pros to me, you take the Ravens-Steelers, I don't know why. It just feels less less significant now. Hmm. I think uh, 49ers-Rams could have had a little something. It used to be 49ers and Seahawks were the better one. but Okay, so the 49ers and Rams played last week, right? Like, did, I, did, did Fox say... No, the last big... week was 49ers Chargers. Oh, 49 two, Yeah, two, two weeks. weeks. Sorry, right. Uh, did did Fox play it up as a big rivalry well, game? Well, again, unfortunately, the Rams aren't holding up their end of the bargain this year. Yeah, And but... the Rams don't have any fans. Yes, and the Rams have that's moved true. three times since their original rivalry. <laughs> yeah, that's point. the other problem. Yeah, that's not any fans' fault. That's the NFL's fault. Uh, Gerald is in Texas. Gerald, how are you? Hello. How's it going? Good. Can you on? Can we, you hear me? we can hear you. Okay, good. I've got my headset on. Hey, listen, um, I've got to tell you, I know you guys hate the Cowboys because uh, you're Buffalo, you know, Bills fan, and Harloff with his Eagles. How many, how many Super Bowls between the Eagles and Buffalo have y'all won? Oh, yeah. Perloff's got one. We, I don't hate the Cowboys, though, Gerald. The, yeah. the Cowboys caused me a lot of pain as a child, but I certainly don't hate them now. It's been enough water under the bridge. Okay. Now, they're always going to be America's team. I'm not going to tell you why. Okay. They sell the, more, the most merchandise. Oh, wait, Gerald. We, you got to put the headset back on, man. It sounds like you're calling us from a wind tunnel. Oh, no. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, you got about 30 seconds. Uh, Go ahead. Okay, I'm going to put this to bed. They sell the most merchandise than any other sports team in the world. They also have five Super Bowls. 
and they're just too white to have more than anybody else. And they have that iconic cheerleading team. Oh, Gerald, I knew you were going to take it there. I've made a decision. I am not going to be dressing up like a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. Now, I can't speak for Perloff. Okay. But I've made a decision. Also, I don't know if the Dallas Cowboys have sold the most merch. I'm going to go out on a limb and say the New York Yankees Yankee cap might be a little bit more ubiquitous. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question. What if, can we set up this scenario? What if the Cowboys beat the Bills in this year's Super Bowl? Um, Is it, then would you consider the bet? And I'll have PTSD for all my no, childhood it's already, stuff. Yeah. Um, no, that's no, not good. No, I don't think so. I do remember hearing this when Gerald first tried to throw out Maggie being in the uh, outfit. It sounds like he was throwing himself out there. I mean, I wasn't looking for help, but you offered it like a good friend would. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Perloff, if you do it, I'll do it too. Oh, now we got a squad. Wow. Uh, Pap oil? If I'm on the show, I'll wear anything. I don't care. Listen, you don't have to be on the show that day. <laughs> I'd pay good money to see uh, Stu in a Cowboy Shield. Stu's in. He just doesn't know it yet. Yeah. He's home sick. <laughs> I'm, when he gets in tomorrow, I'm sure he'll be thrilled. He's watching the show right now cursing us. <laughs> you, can iron, you can iron fist Stu into just about anything. <laughs> True. That's what we love about him. I don't know. We might have a squad here. And hey. then I'll dress up as Dak Prescott. Or Mike McCarthy. And Mike or McCarthy, Jerry Jones. Mike McCarthy as Vince Lombardi, <laughs> <laughs> losing to the Packers.